My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. This morning, I'm going to be preaching primarily from the text that we heard read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. And the title of my sermon this morning is going to be called Wise for Salvation. Wise for Salvation. We're going to talk today specifically about the nature of the Bible. What does it do? Why do we have it? I think one of the most misunderstood things about the Bible is the nature of the Bible itself. There's a a scholar who died a few years ago who noted, the Bible is a human cultural product. The product of two ancient communities, biblical Israel and early Christianity. And if he would have stopped there, I would have been, yeah, okay. But he kept going, unfortunately. He said this, as such, it contained their understanding and affirmations. No statements coming directly or somewhat directly from God. And that is where he lost me. And so right off the bat I'm going to tell you brothers and sisters that the second half of what that scholar said is ridiculous garbage. And many more have uh, this same lack of belief in the scriptures. That the scriptures are just a human product. That there's nothing of the divine about them. There's nothing of God in them. It's just people wrestling with themselves and the human condition, telling stories about how to just uh, kind of live and be good. And so the, the kind of theology that results from that point of view is uh, a theology that is a mismatch of secular materialism with the vocabulary of Christianity sort of imported into it, but with radically different meanings. I'll give you an example, right? So people who take this approach to the scripture, if you would say to them, hey, you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, right? Like Jesus rose from the dead. They would say, oh yeah, totally, totally rose from the dead. And then you said, okay, so if he he physically rose from death, conquering the grave and sin and hell and Satan, then they would say, oh, well, no. And then you would say, well, he just, you just said, you affirmed the, the resurrection of Jesus. And then they would say, oh yes, we do affirm the resurrection of Jesus. And you're like, well, then what do you mean? And then they'll say something like, well, Jesus didn't actually rise from death because we know that dead people don't rise from the dead, right? We all know that. They even knew that in the ancient world. Nobody actually rises from the dead. He rose again in their hearts. You know, on Easter morning, they just had these warm, fuzzy thoughts about all of the good things that he said. And then they had this experience in their hearts of love that transformed them, right, to go and die (laughs) for a person who uh, wasn't really God, who didn't rise from death. And play kind of a word salad game with the Bible. That is, of course, uh, also ridiculous garbage, if I may be so bold. Because the starting point from that point of view is that God doesn't actually speak. And if God speaks, he certainly isn't going to use human language because human language is far too limited to communicate his words accurately. But God has spoken and still speaks through the scriptures. And the scriptures themselves attest to it. However, God speaking doesn't negate the human task of reception, right, and writing it down. But we cannot overemphasize, as the scholar I said earlier, the human task 
and neglect God's divine action. So, but what is the Bible for then? What does it do? Well, we see an answer to this in this selection that we heard from St. Paul's second letter to Timothy. St. Paul tells him in the first part of the reading, he says, as for you, he's running specifically to Timothy, right, directly, but this is also for us as well today. Continue in what you have learned and believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And remember, two weeks ago, we talked specifically about who Timothy learned the faith from. His, the faith was handed on to him by his grandmother and his mother, who were both very devout women who passed the faith on to him. We talked about multi-generational faith two weeks ago. If you missed it, the, the audio is up on our, on our church podcast page. Paul then says that the writings of the Old Testament are sacred writings. He said, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Then he says that these sacred writings are able to make us wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. If the writings that St. Paul was speaking about, if they weren't sacred, then they would just be like everything else. But what does sacred mean? Well, sacred means holy. Sacred means set apart for God's purposes. The scriptures are sacred because they originate in God. And they're able to make us, as he says here, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the purpose of scripture is to make you and me, to make us, all of us, wise for salvation. And then he goes on to lay out four things that scripture does, or what he says in his own words, scripture is profitable for these things. He says, though, before he gets there, is that all scripture is breathed out by God. Or inspired by God. But that word there is breathed out. So does this mean that God breathed out the Bible and then it just fell from heaven in the apostles' laps, right? Or maybe in the early church after the death of the apostles and they had a, a fully formed Bible that just fell from heaven into their laps. And they're like, hey, thank you God for breathing this out for me. No, that's not what happens, right? There is a human task of reception and communication and writing and editing and compiling, but none of that negates the divine action in the origin of our sacred writings, the scriptures. God's act of breathing is something that gives life. It's something that gives life, right? And we see this all in the Bible, right? When God creates, forms humans out of the dust of the ground, it says he breathed into him and he became a nefesh in Hebrew, a living soul. God's act of breathing is God's act of giving life, right? And then Jesus does the same thing before he ascends into heaven. He appears to the disciples in the Gospel of John. It says that he appears in the upper room and he breathes on the disciples. The breath of God. He breathes on them and he says to the disciples, whoever sins you remit, they are remitted. For any sins that you retain, they are retained. He breathes life into them and grants them the authority to forgive sins in his name. God's act of inspiration, that's a breathing, is breathing life into the scriptures. 2 Peter one twenty one says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we see God's act of inspiration in conjunction with human receptivity and obedience and how those work together in the formation of the sacred writings, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. But the origin is God. 
not human. So if scripture is inspired or breathed out by God, then that means however imperfect our human language can be, that the scriptures, the Bible, is as St. Augustine put it, holy, truthful, and blameless. With that in mind, then we can move on to the four things that scripture is profitable for, or the things that scripture is useful for. The first is instruction or teaching. Some versions of the Bible translate this, I think as the King James translates this as doctrine. What does scripture, the sacred writings, what does it teach us? Well, it teaches us a bunch of stuff. It teaches us doctrine, but it also teaches us how to live. Scripture shows us who we are. It shows us what's wrong with us. It shows us what awaits us. And it shows us how we should live in the meantime. This is the way of salvation. St. John Chrysostom says, We shall rise again, that we shall be immortal and incorruptible, that our life shall have no end, but all things will pass away, that we should be caught up in the clouds, that the wicked shall suffer punishment, and numberless other things. And all these, there is no falsehood. That's what he's saying, Paul is referring to here in instruction. This is what our faith is teaching us. That's what we come to learn. But it's not just enough to hear. We mix that with doing, with obedience, with living it, with faithfulness. See, we are instructed in the way of salvation. And salvation is not a static thing in the scriptures. Right? Because of the influence of revivalism, we, we, we picture salvation as something that happens to us one time and then that's it. But scripture, and I've talked about this before, so I won't, I won't stay on it for too long this morning. You're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right? When we read the Bible and it talks about salvation, right? We see salvation as something that has been accomplished for us. It is something that has been given to us in the waters of baptism and our faith in Jesus Christ. As we are saved, we are, we are born again to use that language of the scriptures. We are brought from death to life. So if somebody ever asks you, are you born again? You can say, well, yes, I am because I have been brought from death to life. Faith in Jesus Christ and the waters of baptism, it all works together. I have been saved. Right? But the scriptures also talk about the ongoing work of salvation in us, which is called sanctification, holiness, which is the part of the Christian life that we don't like. Because what God asks us, and how God asks us to live, is oftentimes at odds with what the world tells us how to live, right? That is called progressive sanctification, if you want to throw a theological term at it, right? And then we ultimately will be saved. At the end of time, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, right? So salvation is something that we have, something that we are walking out, and something we have yet to experience in full. It's not static. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We need instruction and we need teaching. We need to know doctrine. We need to know what we believe. We need to know what we believe and why. It's not enough to say that we can believe in whatever we want as long as we think that Jesus is rad. And for many churches, that's what it boils down to. It doesn't really matter what we believe as long as you think Jesus is cool. And he taught us a nice ethic. Be nice. I'm not saying we shouldn't be nice. You should kick your puppy and, you know, elbow grandma. And I'm not saying that. We should be nice. But that's not the point of Christianity. That's not the point of our faith. It's not to teach us how to be nice people. It's part of that. But we are becoming new people. We need instruction given by faithful people. 
and what the Christian belief in life entails. And I got to say, all four of these things all work together, by the way. It's not just one, 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 like boom, 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 boom. These all tie together. I'm just separating them out for ease of communication right this morning. Paul says then that the scriptures are, are profitable for, he says, reproof and correction. Reproof and correction. Well, reproof means, uh, means conviction. So we ask ourselves, well, what is conviction? Conviction is a strongly held belief. But conviction can also mean feelings uh, of guilt for a wrong. Right? So we'll run with both of those definitions. Right? So if we're steeped in the apostolic doctrine, as we confess in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, and we hold on to the fundamentals of our faith, then a few things will happen. Our strongly held beliefs will translate into ongoing faithfulness to what we confess to believe. If we hold strongly to what we are taught, then we will not be fooled when people who teach unsound doctrine come along and try to sway us. I'm going to get... Okay, maybe I should... I'm going to do it. Okay. So, in the history of this church, there have been many faithful people who have come and done their best to serve you and to serve the Lord, okay? But there was a person here at this church who tried to introduce Native American spirituality with the Christian faith, okay? That's what I'm talking, that's not sound doctrine. That is unsound doctrine. I'm not saying that Native American spirituality is bad, but that's not Christianity. You can't take a different belief system and then try to force fit it in to our faith. That's unsound doctrine. That's unsound teaching. It may have been well-intentioned. Well-intentioned. But ultimately, it's futile. Because there's nothing salvific about it. Sometimes, strongly held beliefs will make us eager to change when we are wrong. Sometimes reading the Bible will challenge us. It will shake us a bit from incorrect beliefs or ideas that we may have had about God. For example, I have a, a, an acquaintance. I mean, we're friendly, but I don't really talk to him much anymore. Many, many years ago, he, uh, one of the things that we confess as Christians is the, the doctrine of the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Okay? We confess it in the Apostles' Creed. We confess it in the Nicene Creed. Christians have confessed the doctrine of the Trinity through time. Early in the church, there were people who denied this. Okay? They didn't confess the doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. They were called modalists. And this belief system has continued to exist even to this day. Okay? And my, this friend of mine, he was a believer in that. But through prayer, through the reading of scripture, through, well, through reading, uh, I don't know if that was a wind or something, but <laughs> God telling me I'm on the right track, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but through prayer, through reading of scripture, through, through interacting with the greater Christian tradition, through reading the Bible, he became aware that what he believed about that was wrong and he was led out of an ancient heresy into Orthodox Christian faith. Scripture brings correction. It brings correction when conviction is given reign to work in our hearts. If that correction doesn't violate what has been handed down to us. And because Scripture corrects us, it restores us. It sets us straight. It puts us back in order. 
and then scriptures are useful or profitable for training and righteousness. The word translated training here is generally used to describe the raising of a child to maturity and everything that comes with that. Excuse me. Training involves discipline and focus. To be trained in this context is to be brought into maturity, into doing what is righteous and just. In other words, doing what pleases God. And this does not come to us naturally, brothers and sisters. To be trained, we need to submit to the one training us, to keep a good attitude and an open mind so we can learn what we need to do. And scripture does this for us. And all of these things work together towards one specific and as St. Paul says, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Other translations will render this complete as perfect. Well, what does that mean then to be perfect or complete? To be perfect or complete is to be brought to maturity and stability. In the epistle to the Hebrews, I believe it's in the Hebrews. No, I'm sorry, Corinthians. St. Paul says, I want to give you solid food, but I can't give you solid food because you're still spiritual babies, so I have to still keep giving you milk. In other words, the deep things of God I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to explain to you, I can't actually do that because I have to still give you the basics because you have not received it or accepted it. But we are on the path to completeness, to perfection, to being brought to maturity and stability. The mature Christian is not tossed around by false doctrine and unsound teaching. The mature Christian is open to being set straight when necessary. The mature Christian is open to being corrected, to having their beliefs challenged and then let go of them to embrace what God has spoken in and through his word. The mature Christian disciplines themselves so they can grow in holiness expressed through holy living. And all of this, brothers and sisters, works together to make us complete and perfect and to become wise for salvation. No other sacred text from any other religion has its origin in the breath of God. No other sacred text can make us wise for salvation. No other sacred text has shown us the love of God as revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. There are other sacred texts that may say things that are help, helpful. There may be other sacred texts that may say things that are true. But there's no other sacred text inspired by the breath of God himself that gives life itself. Because none of the other sacred texts can show us the love of God in Christ. This loving self-offering of himself for our salvation. The Bible is not the result of primitive people scratching things down and then passing them off as being from God in order to play power games or have control over other people. The Bible, the sacred scriptures, they have divine origin mediated through, through people going through the same process as we are. We are all becoming wise for salvation. And why the Bible is so helpful and powerful for us is because it shows us people who have walked that path, who have themselves become wise for salvation. They lay out a path for us. 
And all of these, these four things are important, right? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, turning us into a complete and mature person. These are important because as he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, uh, verse 2, excuse me, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's a lot of people that want to reprove and rebuke, but it's not mixed with love. It's not mixed with patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I cannot think, and the great thing about the Bible is it's completely applicable to any, <laughs> any day and any age. In any day and any age we find ourselves in, there will be people who will not want to hear the truth. They will not want to endure sound teaching. They will take teachers who will use the scriptures and teach them things that tickle their ears, that suit their own fancies, that suit their own passions, that will affirm them to live any way that they want to live. And we'll say, we should listen to them and read their books and go to their conferences and listen to their podcasts. Because we can't stand being corrected. We don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be instructed. We don't want to be trained in righteousness because the Christian life can be difficult. It can be difficult. That's why God gives us grace. Those who do not heed Scripture will then not become wise for salvation. Those who do not heed and learn from Scripture will not become complete and perfect and will never come into the fullness of the faith. They will never become mature and stable. Their faith will not rest on God's self-revelation as mediated through his apostles and through his church, but in the ever-changing winds of culture. So let us, brothers and sisters, hear the words of Scripture. Let us be instructed by them. Let us be corrected by them. Let us be encouraged by them, too. And let us ultimately live them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.